We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the midst of our series, The Ten Commandments. Bum, bum, bum. A look at the original commandments and how they align with Christ's law. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. King Canute was the ruler of England in around 1000 AD, and he doesn't really mean much to us today, but at the time he was one of the most powerful rulers in the world, okay? And there, like, like any ruler, any person in power, you've got those people who, you know, in the modern language, they like to call them suck-ups, okay, or like flatterers, or people who are like just... You are the greatest king. You are more wonderful than anyone. Everyone will obey no matter what you say. Even this world obeys your words, King Canute. Okay? You got all these people around King Canute who's saying that to him. And he's starting to like believe it. He's like, okay, maybe I am this like most all-powerful man in the world. Okay? So he's walking along the ocean one day, and he says, hey, all you servants, followers, you, you, you think everything will obey me, right? Anything in the world. And they're like, yes, king, anything will obey you. You command the world right now and it will stop spinning. You know, like whatever it is, king, it will happen, right? And he's like, well, bring my throne down then. Bring my throne. So they go and grab his throne. He like puts it on the edge. They're like, put it on the edge of the sea. So he puts it on the edge of the sea and he sits there and he's like, ocean, stop, okay? And they're all like, yeah, ocean, listen to the king, <laughs> right? And he like keeps coming up, right? The tide keeps coming up. He's like, I said, stop. And he just keeps screaming literally for about six hours until the ocean covers his throne. He stays there screaming at the ocean. He gets out, stands before all of his servants. He's like, I guess I'm not as powerful as you thought I was, right? <laughs> this morning... You are joining New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. My name is Galen, not Dwayne. He was the founding pastor. If you're not familiar, he went to Miami. Awesome guy. Sometime he will be back. Uh, but my name is Galen, and I am so blessed to be with you today as we are starting a brand new series. A brand new series. And not only do we get to start a brand new series, we get to enjoy the nice weather. Like all of you who love to get like a suntan, you get both, right? You get to hear God's word and get a little tan, impress all of your friends, right? Like, you being at the beach, okay? No, I went to church, okay? So, um, and if you're online, thank you for joining us. And hopefully Facebook is not glitchy like normal, as we all know, right? Um, but we're starting a new series that is, weirdly enough, is like a part of the Bible that we are probably most familiar with. Even our culture, we are familiar with this, okay? This, this thing that happened thousands of years ago where a man went up to the top of a mountain and God gave him ten things, right? Ten things that were going to allow the, his people to follow how they were designed to be, right? Well, does anybody know what those ten things are? Ten Commandments, right? Like, even if you've never been to church, you've seen it. Like, they're, like, all over the U.S. still. I think they're, like, even in, like, courtrooms and stuff. 
Uh, or maybe you've seen, uh, what's that movie, Charlton Heston? Uh, is it just called Moses? Is it called the Ten Commandments? Okay, yeah, it's called the Ten Commandments even, okay? It's like played every year on Easter, I believe, right? So, if you're, if you're all been connected, you have heard of the Ten Commandments. And the funny thing is, like most things, I feel like we, we may know these things, but we like don't really actually understand them, right? We may know them culturally, but we may not live by them or agree with them. So this is really a foundation of a lot of the scripture. And we thought, man, why do we not talk about this very often? We're like, no, that's like beginning of the Bible. Like, we don't need to really know about that. So we, we want to talk a little bit about why this matters, why God sent this, the, these commandments down for his people to live by. And does it matter to us today? All right. The story, as I said, starts with the Jewish people, the Jewish people being enslaved for 400 years. The Jewish people were slaves for 400 years, and God rescued them by His grace. You guys heard of the, you know, that whole thing where the, the sea gets parted and people walk across on dry land, right? Okay, that happened by God's grace, right? The sea gets split. God comes across, right? God brings His people across. It's called the the splitting of the Red Sea, right? Miracle that happened. And right after that, God gives them the Ten Commandments. And this is important. First, first, God rescues people. Second, God helps them, teaches them how to live. Now, 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 in our modern context, we like to do it the opposite way. We're like, right? Like, first you need to live the correct way, and then God will save you. Right? That's pretty much like every religion. That's pretty much the way that even Christians think that the Bible teaches. Well, let me tell you, just like those Israelites, we, in the same way, have been slaves most of our life. Maybe most of us, probably not to like a physical person, but most of us have been slaves to our sinful hearts, to our sinful attitudes. To literally sin means to do anything that is opposite to the way God created us to be, right? So most of us have been like completely at the mercy of that nature. And it wasn't anything we could fix ourselves. It wasn't something that we could suddenly pull ourselves together and then God will save us, right? That's the problem, right? We get the Ten Commandments. We like throw them at people. We're like, hey man, you need to get these Ten Commandments in order to follow God, right? But no, it's the opposite way. Just like the Israelites that were rescued from slavery, God has to, by His grace, save us first before we can even follow and look like his children. Don't get that mixed up, because that's the biggest mistake we make. We think, hey, you got to get your life together. Hey, you need to get off of this. You need to do this. You can't do this. And then God will love you. It's not it at all. That's the cross. That's Jesus, right? That's grace. Something we do not deserve. Grace, where Jesus saves and rescues us, where Jesus loves us despite all that junk in our lives. And then afterwards... He wants us to live better. Not, 
Not because then he'll keep saving us. No, he's already saved us. He's already redeemed us. All on because of him, not because of us, right? He saved us by his grace. And then he says, hey, by the way, I also created you to live a little differently, right? I created you actually to live a little better. I created your life to be a little bit better than what you've been seeking. So he gives us these rules, right? These guidelines, these things that's like, Almost like, uh, I, always, I always think of it as like a car manual. The thing that if you have a car, you never read. But it's like the thing that actually tells you how this car is supposed to work, how, what you're supposed to do with it when you're supposed to get an oil change, right? I, I still remember, I think I've told this story before, but I remember this girl I was friends with in high school. Like her parents bought her a car at 16. She was like that person, right? Like I'm like, man, I wish my parents would buy me a car, right? And within six months, it was like dead, but she never got an oil change, Right? I still remember. We're like, we're like, hey, where's your car? She's like, oh, well, I guess apparently you're supposed to change the oil or something. And it literally like burned out the whole engine. Right? So just completely dead. That, that's kind of like how this, the, these, these, these laws are, right? They're like, we see them a lot of the times as like rules. We're like, if we don't do it, God won't love us. God will, like, if we mess up, we're on the no list. We don't get our Christmas presents or something, you know? But that's not how it is, right? It's like a guideline, like, hey, I'm saving you because of Jesus on the cross. And these guidelines are going to help you live the best way that I designed you to be. And a lot of the times, it doesn't make sense to us. That's the crazy part. A lot of the times, it's like the exact opposite. You're like, I don't want an oil change, right? I don't want to spend the money on it. I don't want to take the time to do it. I don't want to like, actually look like I care about my car, okay? Whatever it is, that's how we are with God's commandments. We're like, we want to just blend in with all the people who are really cool and like, don't like oil changes, okay, or whatever, okay? That's how we think. But the Ten Commandments is this starting point of understanding God's character, in the way he designed us to live, right? In the first half, have everything to do with how we relate to God. In the second half, have everything how, how we relate to each other. So that sounds like something Jesus talked about, right? Love the Lord your God, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself, right? The two greatest commandments, he summed up the Ten Commandments. There. We're going to dive into these over the next ten weeks, okay? 10 weeks of the Ten Commandments, right? Like, you, you can't, like, get worse than that, right? I, we were talking about the beginning, and David's like, wait, is it going to be 10 weeks, too? Yeah, there we go. Uh, so, today, just like King Canute, who is starting out, like, yelling at the sea, right? These people are like, bro, you are the greatest king, the sea. You can control it just by speaking to it. And he had no power. I want to talk about this first commandment, about how we worship God. How we worship Him. Do we place Him in that position of number one? Do we declare that He is capable and able to do whatever is needed in our lives, and do we actually believe it and live it? So I want to talk about that first first commandment today. So if you have a Bible with you, Actually, also have it on the screen, and today hopefully you can see a little better. We actually got a new screen that is hopefully able to be seen outside a little better. Can you guys see it at all? Yeah, right? A little better. <laughs> I realize we can probably turn the brightness up on this even more, so maybe next week it'll be even better. So if you have a Bible, Exodus. Exodus, the book you never knew existed. Chapter 20. 
It's at the very beginning. Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to look right at verse 1. Verse 1. And by the way, you can pull this up on your phone. I know I say this every week, but in case you are like, am I allowed? Yes. Please pull it up on your phone. You can look on your phone. Exodus chapter 20. Just turn on the do not disturb thing. That way you're not tempted to go over to like Instagram or, you know, text people and everything, which is fine. I'm not going to shame you, but, you know. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 says, And God spoke all these words. Who spoke these words? God spoke these words. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Does that sound like the story we just talked about? Right? Remember, he just rescued them by grace out of the land of slavery. Right? And he said in verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. How many of you knew this was the first commandment? You're like, I got that memorized. <laughs> Maybe like some of you are like, okay. How many of you know what that means? Yeah? You feel like confident? You're like, I don't even need this sermon. Got it. In my pocket. All right. Well, I'm going to think I'm going to like twist it a little bit. I might surprise you, okay? Because I feel like many of the things in this book we've heard so much, we think we got a handle on, and then we start to realize we don't actually know right? So practically, we don't get them. We may have heard of them, but practically, we don't know how to apply them to our lives. We don't know how this actually works in 2021, right? So when you hear this, the first thing that probably pops into your head is some kind of other religious deity, like have no other gods before me. Like, okay, like there's Allah, right? Or uh, Brahma from Hinduism or like whoever it is, but just don't have that God, before me, right? You shall have no other gods before me, right? This is so confusing that some, some translations are even like that word before me. is like kind of like, uh, maybe he means like besides me, you know? Like, but it's like, it really has this implication of before, like first, like priority, okay? So the question that, as I was thinking through this, I'm like, man, how do we know how this works? What does the gods mean? How do we know that it's meaning Yahweh God, right? Does it mean don't put any other gods? Like we can still have them in our lives, but don't put them in front of Yahweh God, right? Maybe. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I'm more confused than when I started, right? So I want to guide our talk this morning, the rest of the talk, with three questions that can help us just ask some really good questions about what this, this commandment means, okay? Three questions. How does this apply to me? What is God asking me? How do I look like his child? And the first question is this. What is a God? What is a God? This is where it gets really helpful to understand the original language, okay? In the original Hebrew, the word God is the word Elohim. Elohim. Anybody heard that word before? Elohim, right? Like you always think like, that's Yahweh God, Elohim, right? That's what I thought I'd heard forever. And if you've been around the church, you, you probably have heard that as like, oh, that's one of God's names, okay? Right? Here's the catch. Elohim is actually used throughout the Bible to refer to a ton of different beings, not just Yahweh God, okay? Elohim actually means a spiritual being, a spiritual being. It can be angels, 
are actually referred to in the scriptures as Elohim. I kid you not. You read the Hebrew, you will see Elohim for angels. You will see the word Elohim for demons. You'll see the word Elohim for false gods. You'll see the word Elohim where it's talking about Satan. Okay? This word, you shall have no other gods, no other Elohim before me, is actually talking about spiritual beings. You shall have no other spiritual beings before me, right? It denotes this kind of this spiritual world that exists all around us that we like to act like is not there. We only see what we see with our eyes, the physical reality. The people live in the physical reality, but in the spiritual reality, there are these beings, these spiritual beings that the Scripture is full of. The full of, and you know, we, uh, you know, especially if in this Western culture, or if you've been transported here into the Western culture, you know that we like to think of things in a rational way. It has to make logical sense, Right? Uh, or we think of it in an empirical way. And that's just like a fancy word for it. We have to be able to see it and touch it. Okay, and that's how Western thought goes. So not surprisingly, over the last like 400 years, a huge decrease in the, in the believing in the reality of a spiritual existence. Right? So it's kind of like the confusing part of the Bible. Like we believe like, oh yeah, like... There's these angels that interacted and there's these supernatural things and like demon possessions and all this stuff. But nowadays, that's not how it works. I don't think that's how it is, right? The Bible did not change. We like outsmarted the Bible, right? We're like, yeah, we'll just pretend that none of that stuff exists, right? We'll just pretend that there's no longer any sort of spiritual reality going on all around us. And that's why when you bring this kind of thing up, either people get like a little bit like uncomfortable, like I don't really believe in that side of God, right? Or like, like either that or a little bit angry, like no, this dude's like way charismatic or something like that, right? Like thinking about the spiritual side of things. And I'm not like going crazy, like going, we're not going to start talking in tongues right now or anything like that. But I'm talking about a literal spiritual reality that the Bible has no problems with, that Jesus has no problems with talking about, Right? A lot of the things that we reason away may be one of the most important things for us to understand about living as children of God. Right? Let me tell you, there's nothing in the Bible that gives us the option to opt out. There's nothing that says, oh, and now you have no spiritual interactions with any sort of spiritual beings, like they're locked away or something like that, right? And I know, like many of you are from different cultures, and I've talked with you, and you're like, man... I don't understand here, like people pretend like it's not reality, but where I come from, like I see it every day, right? Do I get a, can I get like a witness here? Like, yeah, <laughs> only in Yas. He's like, yep, yep, I'm Georgette, right? Like from other cultures, but in America, we've, we, we, we think that we've like got a handle on it. Like the devil's not allowed here to act the same way. No, he's smarter than us. He's like, okay, I can actually get them a lot smarter if I kind of pretend like I'm not there, Right? You've got human life filling the the physical world, and then you've got spiritual life filling the spiritual world. The Elohim, okay? I'm I'm not making this up, just so you know. You can, like, literally go to the Hebrew. We did a study in our small group, and it was just mind-blowing how many times the Scriptures talk about the Elohim, and it doesn't refer to Yahweh, okay? So we think of that word, but it's actually these gods, right? These gods. So... 
look with me. I got a couple verses for you that, that, that can show you what I'm talking about. Here, uh, go ahead and go to the first one there, Lindsay. Exodus 12, 12, it says, it was talking about right when they had brought the Israelites out of Egypt. It talks about the Egyptians' gods. And it says, the Elohim of Egypt. That's the word that's used, right? The Elohim of Egypt. Or in 1 Kings 11.33, Chemosh, which was the god of the Moabites, says, Chemosh, the Elohim of Moab. Keep going. You can't even read this, but I'll just read it for you. 2 Chronicles 33 says, He got rid of the foreign Elohim and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. The foreign Elohim. Deuteronomy 32.17 says, The Israelites sacrificed to demons that are not Eloah, which is like a feminine version of the word, Elohim that they had not previously known. Okay? So it's talking about demons, and it's saying, the, they sacrificed these demons, these Elohim that they had not known. Keep going. One more. This one's really important. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For Yahweh, your Elohim, he is the Elohim of Elohim. Okay? That's where it really comes all together. We've heard this. The God of gods, the Lord of lords. But that word, the Elohim, is the Elohim of Elohim. So don't get this wrong. They're not all on the same playing field. Right? There is only one Elohim of Elohim. Yahweh God, the creator, the sustainer, the one who spoke everything into existence with his words, that is the Elohim of Elohim, right? So just don't, don't think we're, we're, we're talking about like multiple gods, right? The, the English translation gets confusing because it uses the word God in those spaces, it's a little confusing, but actually the word meant spiritual beings, right? We've translated gods because we don't even understand. We like kind of wrestle that. It's like the, our English translations are really coming out of that Western thought even. So uh, look at, now look at our verse that we talked about at the very beginning, right? It says, let me pull it up. Where is it? Oh, here we go. Uh, the first commandment, you shall have no other Elohim before me. No other Elohim before me. Whoo, you following me a little bit better now, right? You seeing this verse a little bit differently? Is it changing your perspective a little bit? You're like, I don't know. I still don't understand. That's okay. We're going to keep going. Our first question, what is a God? Really refers to a different understanding of a God, right? Then we normally think, when we read this first command, we would normally read it and think, well, this one's easy. There's no other gods that exist. It's only Yahweh. So how can you even have a God before him, right? All the other gods are fake. No, 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 no. That's not what it's saying. It's saying on a second perspective, he's saying no other spiritual beings before me, right? No other spiritual beings before me. And don't worry, I'm going to connect this. Before you're like, wait a second, I don't worship any spiritual beings. Well, my second question for me, for you, number two, are there other gods? Okay, very good question to ask, right? Are there other gods? Okay. Pastor G, I think I'm following you so far. Does this mean that there are or are not other gods that we can have in our lives? Great question, church. I'm glad you're asking me. So look for a second with me at the Apostle Paul, what he thought about this question. We have it in uh, 1 Corinthians here. He says, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that. An idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. 
For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. You see, when Paul says that there is no such thing as an idol, he's saying that the statue itself is not an Elohim. And this is the cool thing about the, the, the first and the second commandment. They're like two sides of a coin, because next week we're going to talk about idols. Okay? They're different than Elohim. And the second commandment, because you read the first and second commandment, and you're kind of like, if you don't understand the difference, you're like, this is the same commandment. Like, go ahead and read the second commandment in your Bible, and you'll see what I mean. It's like, don't have any idols before God. Wait, uh, what? Right? False idols, yes. Right? Like, no, no idols in front of God. But that sounds exactly like the first commandment. We're going to talk about it next week. You're going to see the difference. But this week we're going to focus on, in, on don't have any gods before me, any Elohim. Right? He's not denying that there are, in fact, other spiritual beings that people worship. Right? He's not denying that. And describe them, he uses the term theos, which is the Greek. So the New Testament's written in, in, in Greek, Old Testament, Hebrew. Way too much for you to even think about. But theos is like... Elohim, okay? It's the same thing. You're like, okay, too much language lesson here. Don't worry. I usually stay away from these, but it gets so confusing. But you're staying with me. I know you guys got it. So then look at me at the second part of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. Right? The idol is nothing, but instead they're offering these sacrifices to demons. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Okay? Here Paul draws an awesome distinction between an idol and a god. There are two distinct things, and like I said, we're going to talk about it next week about the idols. And let me give you a hint, it still affects you today. Okay? If you think you're like, well, I don't have little trinkets in my, my house where I worship... Maybe you do. Maybe it has an Apple logo on it. I don't know. But uh, No, just kidding. Um, yeah, I got one here. But draw your attention to the second part of all that. The Apostle Paul talks about these spiritual forces that are actually getting worshipped. These fallen angels, these demons, these Elohim are getting worshipped. Okay? You staying with me so far? Am I losing you? <laughs> okay. Good, good. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, there are these spiritual forces which are in constant opposition to Yahweh God. Constant opposition. are trying to draw people to worship them instead of Yahweh. And let me tell you something. You want to know the biggest secret of all? Is they're still doing it today. That's the biggest secret, right? You think it's not happening? It is. You just don't know it. They are sneaky. They're smart, okay? They're going to be doing it even though you don't think they are. Let me point, you out, point out to you three distinct ways that these spiritual beings have seduced people away from Yahweh in order that they would be gods themselves, that we would worship them instead of Yahweh, right? That we would see ourselves as gods. Three distinct things that I think is like really sums up what the Scriptures talk about. Sex, power, and money. Okay? Sex, power, and money. These three things, there's so many more. But I just want to narrow on three just to give you a little picture, okay, of how powerful these things are to distract us and become the God before 
Yahweh. Okay? Think about sex. When I think of that, I think of Samson in the Bible. You heard that story? Strong guy, don't shave my head or I'll lose my powers. Right? Like, and then he's like, how is he broken? Time and again. He's like seduced by sex. Right? Again and again. This man, after it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's a prophet of God. And he's seduced again and again by sex. And I think of the New Testament letters. They're constantly filled with rebukes to the church against sexual immorality. It's not just like, hey, this isn't a problem, right? Like this was a serious problem in the church in the first hundred years of the church. Okay? How about power? I think of even pride in this power spot, right? I think of power, I think of the Israelite kings of the Old Testament again and again who were seduced by power instead of following God. They wanted to maintain their power instead of going to God. And I think of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes of the New Testament, the people who opposed Jesus, who claimed to know God, but when God was standing right there in front of them, it says literally they didn't want to give up their power. So instead, their little slice of power, right? Like they got nothing. They're like, like under the thumb of Rome. They're like, I'm not giving that up for you, right? Like, no way. I would rather have my little bit of power that I have. My, my ability to control a few other people, right? That's really what power is, and it seems to be the seduction is that we can somehow control other people. And lastly, money. I think that one of the saddest stories of the Bible is these two, this couple that comes to the church, early church, and lies to the church and says, hey, I'm giving all the money I got from my house sale. It's like, I made 100 grand on my house, and then they drop off like 20,000, right? They're like, I sold it all and I'm giving it all. And they're like, I don't care what you give, but why are you lying, right? They were seduced more by the power of money, right? They wanted the money, but they wanted to look religious. And I think there, there's so much more. I just wanted to give you a little, a little taste of some scriptural examples of these things where they are seducing the people of God away from God, right? Just a sample of the stories, but those three gods have torn through God's people since creation. And the reality is there are spiritual forces behind all of it. Yeah, we got a sinful heart, we have a sinful nature, and we are bent that way, but when God saves us by His grace, there is more that keeps happening. There's a spiritual force that keeps tempting us and pulling us, an enemy who wants to draw us away to worship other gods. And that was Paul was talking about in that 1 Corinthians passage, right? How about today? Do these gods still exist, or is this not a problem any longer? Huh? I mean, sex, power, and money are like, I mean, I could describe the USA, okay? Like right there, okay? That is like what has corrupted us to the core, and believe me, it is the church too, Okay, you like we're like you think we're like the bubble, right? Like we gotta like change the culture out there. No, like our culture is jacked up, right, on the inside of the church. We have a messed up culture too, and we are totally, totally more obsessed with those things. We wanna look like the outside culture, but we wanna look religious, right? I think of I think of how saturated sex has become to our culture, but also the church. We're literally we are so concerned with our identity and how we see ourselves to others. It has so much to do with our sexual appeal, right? How we dress, 
how we look? Do you think there's a spiritual force behind that? Do you think so? Like these Elohim that it's talking about, do you think there's one that is tempting us towards that? Right? How about pornography addiction? By conservative estimates, it has at least 70% of our country is addicted or at least viewing once a month pornography. Right? Do you think there's a spiritual force behind that? And believe me, that's in the church, okay? I'm not stupid to think like none of us here are part of that number, right? Like I know it is. I know it is, right? And we are struggling just as much as a church, right? Do you think there's a spiritual force behind that where the average age of pornography viewing is eight years old? Like we told that statistic to, uh, we were hanging out with family and they're like, no, no, our kids are fine or whatever. And we're like, no, like, their statistic is eight years old, right? And they literally were like, well, maybe in Chicago. We're like, no, 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 no. See, that's the problem, right? Like, we're like, maybe over there, but my kids, no way. Right? Like, it was like hilarious. And sorry if you're listening. I totally love you. Um, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but that's just like all of us, right? Like, we totally think, like, that is not me, right? There's no spiritual force that's going to be tempting my kids, right? And... What about the fact that you feel dragged to that screen for that, right? What what does it mean when you're like, man, I have no desire to do this mentally, but like my body is pulled to that. Sure, there's physical addiction stuff, but I think there's so much more of a spiritual force happening than we even recognize or know. And how about the amount of endless affairs that are going on in marriages Pastors too. How many fallen pastors have we seen over the last couple of years, right? Do you believe there's a spiritual force behind sex? Yes. How about power? Or could I say success? Pride, right? Our culture's obsession with having a good job, right? And a good job, not even meaning a good amount of money sometimes. It means like, we look good. Right? Like, we got a title. I want to have some letters at the end of my name, right? Like, PhD or like, you know, CEO or something, right? That, is, that, that means you've made it, right? And that's what we search after. And it's really about status for our identity, but it's also about control over so many people where people have their lives in your hands, right? There's something about that power where you're almost like a god, right? I think about this. I mean, who knows how this next like 20 years is going to go as you see like the economy of the world where one person literally can have more money than an entire country, right? This is the first time in the history of the world where this is happening, right? One private company, not a country, like there's been countries that have like dominated the world, right? But this is like one private company where one man has more money than entire economies. Who knows how this is going to happen, but I know that our hearts are broken and it's just not going to end out well, right? That we are seduced by power. Who thinks there's a spiritual force behind power? Right? Yeah, yeah. And we're obsessed with this image, right? We're obsessed with having the position where others have to listen to us, the gifting and the calling. I I think of like, one thing that always amazes me is how obsessed some people are with positions of ministry, right? Right? I'm saying this from like personal reflection, right? There is a seduction that comes from stepping into ministry. That's why the Bible says, be very careful because you will be judged more, right? When you step into ministry. I see people that like 
don't have the calling, the character, the gifting, but are so obsessed with some sort of position of power within the church. And I wonder why. Why? What is this drive, right? And we, there is a spiritual force that is driving us towards power. Lastly, money. I'm not even going to say anymore. You already know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this one goes without saying. I mean, in the U.S., like, we are driven by money, Right? And money drives everything we do. It allows us to treat people as less than human, right? We like, oh, like they don't deserve, like whatever. Fill in the blank. Like this amount of money to like live on these healthcare. Like everything we do can be driven where we devalue people because of a dollar amount. If it affects our bank account, then I don't want it, right? If it affects the way how much I gotta pay, then no. We stop seeing people as humans. We do this so much in so many ways, devaluing people, but money really does the trick for us. When it seems like we will get less or we have to pay an unfair amount or unfair share or something like that, all of a sudden someone becomes less than human. And I think we forget the grace of like where God put us. Like I always think like, man, like uh, did anybody choose where they were born? Like what parents they had? No. Oh, okay, but you're acting like you did, right? Like you're acting like you just got that all in your I don't think so, right? Ultimately, we have to really think about that, right? Does, does our money, on other ways, align with God's will? How about like our taxes? Do we cheat on our taxes? I mean, talk to Darnell, right? He knows all about taxes. Like, what's going on in that world, right? <laughs> he probably knows, right? Uh, how about ripping off that store? Like, oh, man, they, 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 they screwed me so I can take from them, right? Or, or keeping the extra thing you got, the extra change you got. Little things, right? And we just justify it. We're like, man, it's just a dollar. Like, you know, I'll get it back another day, right? Or don't tell Amazon they sent you multiple items that you didn't order, right? So, uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. We got a mirror. Oh, it's okay. Could you go in the back? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, if you just want to go in the back there, you can set up that mirror and use whatever. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, man. And uh, you, you name it, we justify it in the name of the almighty dollar, right? Like, that's it. We, we justify it. Whatever it is. We're like, man, I deserve this. I got ripped off before. Whatever it is. You don't know my story. I deserve this, right? Money can cause us to do crazy things. And do you think there's a spiritual force behind money? Yeah. So much so. So much so. You... So you got my question, my question there. Are there other gods? When Yahweh says, you shall have no other gods before me, do you feel like there are some other gods that maybe we put in front of Yahweh? Some other Elohim, spiritual forces. I just talked about three specific things, right? Three specific things, and there are so, so many. So, so many. So that brings me to my last question I want to ask today. What brings me, how do we worship God alone. Go to the next slide there, Lindsay. How do we worship God alone? This commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Good. Third point. How, you shall have no other gods before me. How do we put God in that position? It can start to make more sense as we start to understand what it means by a God and how modern gods are today, right? The way I think of it is like these little idols, or like you think of it as like some other religion. But we start to realize maybe it's infiltrated the church way more than we think.
So how do we change that? How do we put God first? Like, if it was so easy, we'd already be doing it, right? Obviously, God tells us this because we're saved by grace, and then we start to look like His children, so we start working on putting God first in some of these areas, right? Here's the best way to understand. I think of, I think of, it, I think of worship, okay? And worship has gone a little twisted, as thinking of it is just what Becky does here on the piano, which it's, it is what Becky does, but it's so much more than what Becky does, right? Becky leading us in music, Trajet and Michelle, leading us in music this morning was worshiping God. It's declaring who He is. It's singing it, right? You can, you can read it, you can sing it. It's really about your heart and if you're declaring it to God. That's, that is worship. But it's so much more than that in that it's actually position. And that's, if you could remember one thing about worship, worship is position, it's where it's at in the line to your heart, okay? If you're like, ever go to like a, a theme park or down to Navy Pier or just standing in line for like a bus stop, there's like someone who's first who's going to get on right away, right? And you are like 10th, 15th, 45th, like not even going to stay around any longer, right? Like maybe the Aldi grocery line, okay? brought that up a lot because it really bugs me like why is there like no more cashiers but you have 45 people here right like like we only have two people working this store right so that's kind of how it is that line in worship is what gets the first spot what gets the first spot like you can go down like 10 things and you'll have well, who cares there's a big blob right but like the first 10 or 20 in your life really shows what's in your heart and really, what gets the number one spot? Not just like by word, because we'll be like, number one is God, then my dog, and then Facebook, okay? Like, that is God will maybe say it, but really, like, Facebook, then my dog, then God, you know? Like, that is how we live it. And a lot of times, if you want to analyze it, just take a look at your time. Take a look at your time, right? I, I, I think about this. How come it's so hard just to spend like five minutes a day in prayer, right? Like, you know, is there something wrong with our priority list, right? Like, how come it's so hard to like give our money towards something that's like in God's kingdom, but it's so easy to like buy the newest iPhone, right? Like, why is that a thing, right? There is an order in our lives that guides what we do. There is a position, and God has a position in there. And it's not what you say, it's what you do, right? That really shows where that line is. And when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, he's saying, I want to be at the front of the line, right? I want to be at the front, and then that will affect everything behind it. So that when you start spending your money, God affects how you spend your money. Because he's first in the line. He's like, no, 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 I don't want you to spend it on that. I want you to give it away. You're like, no, money, get in the front, get in the front. Like, God, you're going to take a step back, right? Okay, or when we're like, hey, I really love this person, right? And what matters now is me, my sexuality, my preferences, whatever it is, that's what matters. And God's like, no, 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 I'm first, remember? So that's not what I want for you. That's not my best for you. And you're like, oh, never mind. I really think I want to change this line. That is what it means to put God first in our lives. And let me tell you, it's much easier to say this than to do it. As a preacher, I'm talking to you saying it's much harder to live it. 
I'm talking to myself too. It's much harder, it's much easier to know it than to actually do it, right? Because it, it involves like literally dying to self. It's the gospel. The first commandment is like all of the Christian life, right? If you get the first one right, everything else will kind of fall in place. If you put God first, if you put Him first, if you start worshiping Him, not just singing a song and saying, but you start worshiping Him with your life, everything else will start lining up. And we're going to spend the next nine weeks diving into some of those specifics. But I wanted to start today just talking about the realities of that commandment and letting us know that it does affect us way more than we think. I think we sometimes just buzz by that commandment. We're like, done. Like, God's number one, obviously. No, 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 no. We have many other gods that we are worshiping, and a lot of the times they get the front line, right? So this morning, if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, man, I have let another god take the first place. I want to let you know that God's grace is good, and he was like more than happy to let it go and go to the front of the line. That's the greatness of our God. Like, it is not about like, well, I'm, you didn't have me in the front for that long, so you get 10 years of pain, right? That's not how God works, right? Like, he is like, right away, he's like, no, let me go in the front, and your life will be so much better. Right? We may not think so, but then I lose my friends, I lose my money, I lose like my success. And God's like, no, like that stuff is not even worth it. Right? It's like the Pharisees, like I said, like having that little bit of power, but unwilling to give it up. And God's standing right in front of them. The one that they were searching, it says they searched the scriptures. Jesus says this to them, you search the scriptures for me. I'm standing in front of you, but you don't even recognize me. Is that how we are? All the time, we like know our Bibles, we come to church on Sundays, we hear a great message, we know it, but then God's like telling us, like standing right in front of us, and we're like, nah, I'll take that instead. So I want to encourage you this morning, not shame you, right? Because shame doesn't lead us anywhere. (laughs) You can like go away and you'll just like come back to it a day later, right? But I want to encourage you that God is a gracious God that loves you so much that he wants to be in the first place because it's the best for you. He's not saying, do this, then I'll love you. He loves you, and because of that, he wants to be in the first. So if you want to talk with someone this morning, you're like, man, God is speaking to me. I need some prayer because there is a, a God that has a hold on my life, and I need someone to pray with me. I'm going to invite Corey and Susan, maybe if you two could go in the back, and in Yas and, and Brooke and Karen and Brennan, anybody that wants to go back there, just so we have some people. And if you're a, a lady, you want to go pray with a lady, man with a man, whatever you want to do, go back to play with a power couple, have Corey and Susan like pray over you. God really says in the scriptures that elders praying over you can bring healing, right? Like gather the elders together and bring healing. Sometimes we think just physical healing, right? Maybe we're sick because we're like really addicted to a God that has a hold on our lives. So I want to encourage you this morning that this is available. Just go in the back. No one's going to be like, oh, snap, like that person has an idol in their lives, right? Like, no, uh, we all do, okay? It's really the brave ones that are going to go back and be able to get that prayer if they're feeling God's Spirit moving them this morning. Don't worry about what someone's thinking. Don't worry about it all. Go back there and get some prayer. We're going to have a song. I'm going to invite Becky to come up. She's going to sing a song with us, and then after we sing the song, we'll close with communion and, uh, and, uh, um, and a last little... Goodbye. So just take a moment. Maybe just close your eyes for a second. Let God just reflect on your heart. Where, where is God in the line in your heart? You have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.